have a name, but they uh, fill the void. Very well done. Very well done. Thank you, Emily, for accompanying them. I'd like to open our service this morning uh, using a scripture from Psalms, the 95th Psalms, verses 6 and 7. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. In this time of the year, we recognize the Good Shepherd and His birth, and we are the sheep of the Good Shepherd. I would ask that you might remember our brother Jeff this morning as he would bring the spoken word. We'll continue our service and use hymn number 161.
Heavenly Father, we gather here this morning, a group of Thy saints to remember Thy Son. And Father, we ask that as uh, we've already felt here this morning, that Thy Spirit might continue to dwell with us and be with us. We ask that You be with our presider, that You would guide and direct him. We pray that You be with Brother Jeff. As he brings a spoken word, that those things which are on his heart and his mind, those things which he has prepared, Father, that you would bless him and give him the liberty of speech that uh, we might be able to receive that message, that our hearts might be open, our minds attuned to that spirit and that loving goodness of Jesus Christ. And Father, we're thankful for the gifts and blessings and most of all the gift of thy son. In this holiday season that uh, we come to remember and come to uh, celebrate uh, the birth of our Savior, that great gift unto mankind for our salvation. And so, Father, we're thankful in all these things, and we praise your name and give you the honor and glory, for thou art our wonderful God and our Counselor and the Almighty Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I didn't have any special words <clears throat> this morning about offering. But uh, one of the things that came to me just a few seconds ago was the fact that you are here and you're offering of being here to Him, showing your love for Him. Uh, I know there's some here that haven't been for a while. And... I appreciate seeing each and every one of you when you can come. Uh, well, so I thank you for his offering today. May we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time asking that you would bless us through these offerings that we might give to you and show that we love you and show our appreciation to you. Give us this day, we ask, and that you bless this monies, that it might do to your, for your good. In Jesus' name, amen.
And I, the Lord God, spake unto Moses, saying, That Satan, whom thou hast commanded in the name of mine only begotten, is the same which was from the beginning. And he came before me, saying, Behold, I send me. I will be thy son. And I will redeem all mankind, that one soul shall not be lost. And surely I will do it. Wherefore, give me thine honor. But, behold, my beloved son, which was my beloved and chosen from the beginning, said unto me, Father, thy will be done, and the glory be thine forever. Blessed Sunday to you. Some 2,000 years ago, our Master condescended and became as other men. He took upon himself this clay tabernacle and walked the earth. And there, to do his Father's will. His parents, Joseph and Mary made the long and arduous trip to a town called Bethlehem, there to file their taxes. It was made all the more difficult owing to Mary's late pregnancy. Upon achieving their destination, they discovered that the town was full up of migrants, much like themselves, full past the point of generosity. There was none to give room at them at the inn. 
So they made the only decision they could. They went to the nearby barn and there to spend their night. And so it was with livestock as witnesses. Mary's pregnancy was accomplished and our Savior was born. Shortly thereafter, shepherds poked in through the door, bringing a testimony that they've heard an angelic message. That uh, this day in the city of David, a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord. And that that messenger was surrounded by a chorus of angels declaring peace on earth, goodwill to men. And as they left, they cried uh, praises to their God. And that little boy, he grew up and he told his parents, I must be about my father's business, which saying they did not altogether understand. And eventually that young boy became a man and he was baptized and he began his earthly ministry here in earnest. And he finds his way back to his hometown, a city called Nazareth. And there, as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And there he stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of the sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He went on to say that this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears, meaning himself. And surely in the life of Christ, he achieved all of these things. He did all of these things. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him shortly after his baptism. He sent it upon him in the form of a dove. And he preached the gospel to the poor. He preached to all that would listen, who oftentimes were the poor. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted, which he surely did, and to preach deliverance to the captives, these captives were held captive by the heavy burdens laid upon them by the uh, ruling priesthood of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees laying heavy burdens, and the recovering of the sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The Lord, our Master, did all of these things here in his earthly ministry. He preached the gospel. In the fifth chapter of Matthew, ascended the mount and delivered his most famous sermon. He began with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn, the meek, and those that are hungry and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. He cautioned us to be the salt of the earth. Section 98 and paragraph 5 tells us what it means to be the salt of the earth, that when you are baptized... And you make your everlasting covenant with your heavenly Father. You become as the salt of the earth. He said he cautioned us not to become a salt which has lost its savor. 
to remember our passion, our fervor in this church. Not be salt which is lost to savor good for nothing, to be cast out and be trodden on the foot of men. He counseled us, don't be angry, Mr. Brother, and agree with your adversary quickly. Don't carry your treasures here on earth where moth and rust corrupts, but lay up your treasures in heaven. He preached things like faith, repentance, forgiveness, prayer. He taught us the unforgivable sin and the greatest commandment. And he taught us that before everything, seek ye first to build up the kingdom of God. In that scripture that Christ read there in the synagogue, he issues the phrase, the recovering of sight to the blind. I think that's an interesting uh, part of that scripture there. I think it has two meanings. The first is, of course, that Christ blessed and created miracles among those that were suffering. Those that were either born congenitally from their, from their birth, that they were born blind without that necessary sight that all of us enjoy, or perhaps somewhere along the way that they were made blind, but nevertheless they lacked uh, the gift of sight. And Christ certainly healed them and blessed them and recovered sight to those blind. But I think perhaps there's another meaning there. In the 23rd chapter of Matthew, Christ brings condemnation down on the scribes and Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites, you blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, do they not both fall into the ditch? Christ recovered sight to the blind. These, these priesthood who had uh, destroyed their, their own priesthood through these, these priestcrafts, Christ's mission on earth was to recover sight to the blind, that is to bring priesthood out of the obscurity of priestcraft and this, uh, this pride and, and vanity there. And he did so by ordaining new priesthood, recovered sight to the guides. In the third chapter of Mark, uh, Christ ordains apostles. He ascends the mount and there to spend it in solitude and prayer unto his heavenly Father. And when he emerges in the morning, he goes to his disciples and he selects out twelve among them and he ordains them as apostles. He ordained others. In the tenth chapter of Luke, it says he ordains seventies. And he called them special witnesses and he sent them on before him to go into the cities that he was preparing to visit, that they could testify of him. Before he come, these apostles and these seventies, and he ordained others. In the Book of Mormon lands among the Nephites, after he came, he ordained twelve others and reestablished his priesthood here on this earth. He performed ordinances. When he began his ministry here on this earth, he began it with baptism. And shortly thereafter, confirmation. He taught his priesthood the gospel, and he armed them with ordinances. For how many times did he perform the laying on of hands for healing, the blessing of children? And on the night that he was betrayed, we believe he performed two ordinances. 
First, the washing of the feet, and also instituted the Lord's Sacrament, which in itself was not a new ordinance in the church. It had been celebrated even anciently. It was recorded uh, Melchizedek performed the sacrament. But our Lord brought the sacrament to that era. He, he reinstituted it in this, this church he founded, and he taught the meaning of it to his disciples there. This bread and this wine are representative of the broken body and spilt blood of your Lord. He healed the brokenhearted and set at liberty them that are bruised. That is, he helped the needy. In the 10th chapter of Mark, Christ is exiting the city of Jericho. And there, on the streets, he finds blind Bartimaeus. A beggar on the streets leading into the city. And apparently that he had been begging there for so long that his name had gotten around. And they called him Blind Bartimus, a blind man sitting on the, the side of the road begging for the generosity, generosity of the passerbys. And when he heard that Christ himself was walking past, this is it, this is my opportunity. And he calls out to him, Jesus Christ, help me. Well, the, the disciples passing by, they try to hush him up. So look, Bartimaeus, this is not some merchant. It's not just anybody you're talking to. This is Jesus the Christ here. But sensing his, his hope and his opportunity was beginning to slip past him, he cried out even the more, even the louder. He said, Jesus Christ, thou son of David, help me. And Christ stopped and he ordered Bartimaeus before him. Those same disciples which tried to hush him up now helped the blind man before their master. I think they learned a lesson that day. And Christ asked him, so what, what would you have of me? He said, that I might receive my sight and see as other men. He said, go, thy faith hath made thee whole. And from that moment on, Bartimaeus received his sight. Again, in the seventh chapter of Luke, Christ is entering into a city of Nain. There, outside the city, he witnesses a funeral procession of a mother and son. The son is dead. And is being carried by the pallbearers and a beer and his mother trailing behind and weeping. She is not just a mother. She is described as being a widow, having only one child. This woman who had married and had lost her husband and now had lost her only child and tears shed for him and perhaps for her own solitude. Christ witnessing the scene, he takes pity on her and approaches the bier and raises his hand and touches it and commands the son, sit up. And as he does so, he picks up the boy and places him in his mother's arms. Tears once shed in loss and destitution now shed for joy 
Every time that she hugs him, every breakfast they spend around the kitchen table as she sees him grow up and become a man, every time she looks at him, she will see the love and generosity of her Lord. Go fetch the water. Go fetch the water every day. Go get a bucket of water. How more mundane of a task could you possibly ask for? Go fetch the water. Every single day, this woman goes out to this well to fetch a pail of water. Except this day, this woman, she meets somebody there that she did not quite expect. Christ the Lord reclining near this well, having sent his disciples on into the city. He was there alone, and he told her, he said, look, if you drink of the water of that well, you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, there will be a well springing up inside of you until everlasting life. She said, sounds great. Give me some of that water. He said, go fetch your husband. She said, well, I don't have a husband. He said, that's accurate. You have had five husbands. The one you have now is not your husband. I know you. Christ was telling her, I know you. Do you not understand that the very hairs of your head are numbered? Christ knows you and everything that you've done. Despite our noblest intentions filtered through our best efforts, reality seldom represents all our hope. What I mean to say is things don't always work out quite like what you planned. And so often in youth, we fix our hearts onto something. And what circuitous paths we sometimes take, what lessons we're forced to pick up along the way. This woman left that conversation, left her bucket of water behind, went into the city and proclaimed loudly, there's a man at the well told me everything that I have ever done. Is that not the definition of Christ? As a result of which, the entire city of the people go out to the well and they listen to Christ and they invite him to stay in that city for two whole days. And right there is the power of godliness manifest. In the course of one conversation, this woman went from fetch a bucket of water to missionary for an entire city. Christ was able to spread the word of salvation on the many and do much good. The eighth chapter of Mark, Christ uh, recalls two instances where he had blessed the multitudes. Apparently his disciples had begun to number into the thousands. 
followed him for a few days and uh, had followed him for so long that they began to run out of some of the necessities. They began to run out of food. And so in one instance, Christ feeds the, he blesses the food and uh, there he's able to feed 7,000 and take up extra besides. In another instance, 4,000 and take up more. Christ fed the hungry. And in all these things, preaching the gospel, ordaining priesthood, performing ordinances, helping the needy, and in all of these things, fulfilling the scripture as you read there in the synagogue. And in all these things, Christ accomplished all that he set out to do. He fulfilled the words of Isaiah the prophet, which you read in the synagogue that day. He preached the gospel to the poor and to every strata of society. He stood before beggars and the wealthy, and he gave freely to all. He stood before those that would listen and those who wouldn't. He reestablished his church and brought priesthood out of priestcraft and apostasy and taught them the same gospel which he had learned from the mouth of his father. And he armed them with the power and authority to act in his name and to bring mankind back into the presence of God through the administration of the holy and sacred ordinances. He blessed the needy. He fed the hungry by the thousands. He had compassion on beggars unlike what rulers have done before or since. He blessed children and taught us all that we should be more like them in accepting this gospel. And he protected them with grave threats, saying that if you were to harm one, it would be better a millstone were hung around your neck and cast into the sea. He elevated the status of women and widows in a society which didn't care much for either. He taught mercy, he taught forgiveness, patience, brotherly kindness, repentance. He did far more for the most vulnerable in society in his few years of service than every Elon Musk, Hillary Clinton, Michelle Obama, President, Vice President, UNICEF, Red Cross, United Nations, and all the rest combined. Satan thought that he could tempt him into service, which temptations went unheeded. He thought he could frustrate him into defeat when Satan himself was defeated. He thought that he could silence him in death when death itself was defeated, causing saints from every generation to cry aloud, O death, where is thy sting? He fulfilled all the prophecies concerning his coming and all the commandments in his teachings. He declared openly from the beginning his intention to set about his father's business, and to bring salvation to mankind, which work was finished on the cross. As Christ hung there and issued his last words before his death, it is finished. Thy will is done. Such an important life which began in obscurity and poverty, poverty and had such an important impact that it ripples forward and backwards through time. His life could not be considered rare. To call Christ's life rare would be far too commonplace. His is singular in his dedication to his God. And one we all admire and look up to. I said the work of salvation was finished. 
Allow me to explain. Christ's work. Christ's work of salvation is finished. Your work. Well, your work begins, continues on to this day. Where did the work of salvation begin? Well, it began in my opening scripture. And thus the heaven and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day I, God, ended my work and all things that I had made, and I rested on the seventh day from all my work, and all things that I had made were finished. And I, God, saw that they were good. The very first flesh, the very first living flesh upon the earth. God had already created the, the planets and the stars and the moons and the seasons, but the first living flesh upon the earth was Adam. God created the garden and moved Adam to that garden, there to dress and to keep it. Seeing that Adam needed companionship, he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And there he took a rib from him, and from thence he made Eve. And upon waking and seeing Eve, he declared, This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We're the same person. And then, eventually, Satan, that great adversary, rose up in the form of a serpent and convinced Eve that this tree, this, the fruit of this tree is good for you to eat. This is education. Do you understand this tree? It will increase your understanding. You'll learn if you eat from this tree. It's good for you. So she partook and gave to her husband. You know, Christmas is a time of tradition. There are traditions in our family. I suppose there are traditions in your family also. I can remember as a young boy sitting around our kitchen table playing cards late in the evening. Rummy, mostly. All my cousins would gather in from all across the country, and you know, there we would sit late uh, every evening for that whole week, catching up where we'd been for that whole year, telling stories, talking politics. We have a tradition at my house. I'm a husband and a father. We have traditions. We assemble the tree together as a family. We turn on a Christmas movie and completely ignore it as we assemble the tree there in our living room. We open up all the boxes of all of our ornaments, and the four of us, we each go at it. And what I've learned is if you have four people all putting ornaments on the tree all at the same time, the ornaments come out really organized. Really, really organized. You know what the first tradition was? very first tradition. It's right there in the scriptures. God came down into that garden and he asked you, where are you? And they reply, well, God, we, we thought we'd hide ourselves, seeing that we were naked. Well, who told you you were naked? Well, Lord, that woman, she beguiled me. Well, the snake beguiled me. And right there, 
They start pointing the finger at each other. The very first tradition in the history of the human race, which has been echoed by every member and every generation, when you're caught doing something wrong, you blame someone else. That decision, that decision to partake of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil had to have consequence. The decision to partake of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil must have consequences. If you're going to open the door on the knowledge of what good and evil truly are and shatter the innocence which Adam and Eve so enjoyed there walking and talking with their creator, that decision has had consequence. And we see it and we feel it even today. There are parts of this world Well, they don't like each other very much. And even today, they're trying to blow each other apart. So it has been since every generation of mankind, since Isaac and Ishmael, since Cain slew Abel. Around our kitchen dinner tables and at our Christmas dinners and around our Christmas trees, there are empty chairs people in our lives we haven't treated very well. We blow each other apart. Somewhere along the line we failed. Angels have descended bearing messages. Prophets have walked the earth and Jesus Christ himself has come. The multiple peoples on multiple continents Bearing the message that the fruit of the tree holds the knowledge of both the evil and the good. The art and architecture of this room is not lost on me. The physical representation of the body of Christ is imprinted upon the stained glass just behind me. His feet, bear notice, reach down and touch the water. He's still walking on water. This water used to baptize my children not too long ago. And children before that and Hopefully, still more children to come. I can testify personally that I have had a personal experience that I know of the truth recorded in the 83rd section of the Doctrine and Covenants by the ordinances thereof that the power of godliness is manifest. That the Spirit of God is part of His ordinances in this church. The Spirit of God strives with man and his priesthood, and the Spirit of the Lord is a part of his ordinances. It's part of this church even today, and his promises are just as sure today as when they were issued. So I'll say it again for all those who require repeating. Now the fruits of the Spirit are these. Love. Joy, peace, 
long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, mercy, temperance. These are not goals. These are evidences of the Spirit working through you, whispering into your ear and to your heart, trying to describe to you the goodness and the beauty which runs so abundant to the streets of the kingdom of our Lord. It was 12 years ago. It was 12 years ago, about this time of year. I was dating this little freckle-faced brunette, and things worked out. We got married. But uh, at the time, we were just dating, and my cousins had come in from all across the country, and uh, I wanted to introduce Sarah to uh, my family and introduce my, my family to my future wife, and uh, we, we were trying to figure out you know, what it is that we were going to do. Now, I am not the youngest of my generation of Suddits, but I'm close. So all my other cousins had already married, and they already had their children. And so we were immediately surrounded, sieged with um, maybe about a half a dozen of, um, see, they're between like 7 and 11, 7 and 12-year-olds or so. It's kind of hard to remember. It's kind of a blur. And, uh, you know, we were trying to figure out what it is that we were going to do, what's good to do in Kansas City. We decided that since most of these cousins had come from Oklahoma and not seen the real snow and ice as what we have here in this part of the world, it would be good to take them ice skating, expose them to what an ice skating rink looks like. We'll go ice skating. And so the troop of us pile up in two separate vehicles, takes two of us, and um, we drive right on down to Crown Center and um, we get lost, but you know we find it. And the entire way there, all the kids, they're all crying to us. Oh, we don't want to go ice skating. We don't want, we don't want to go ice skating. Why would you want to go ice skating? We don't want to go. We're not, it's not going to be fun. We don't want to do it. And all the time, we parents are trying to convince them, hey, it's ice skating. You're going to like it. You're going to enjoy it. Just give it a try. We're going to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Afterwards, hot chocolate. And, uh, you know, so we go there and we park in the parking garage and we walk in and we have to rent ice skates and uh, some of them don't know how to do their shoelaces, so we have to help them. And then you have to do that funny walk, you know, walking on ice skates over to the rink. And, uh, you know, the rink is quite large, beset by um, Christmas trees. And uh, I remember looking into the the ice skating rink there, and it was uh, packed. I mean, there was, you know, 100 people, 200 people out there. But there was, oddly, there was organization to it. And if you were more experienced, more adept, which I certainly wasn't, uh, you skate near the center. You can go a little faster, do your twirls, and there were couples and things. But if you're a more novice, like we were, you have to stay towards the edge. I'm ashamed to admit I lost sight of Sarah almost immediately. My uh, cousins, they grab my hand. Me first, me first. Let's go. Yeah, all right. So we get out onto the rink there, and you know we file in line, and uh, so we're right there next to the, the handrail. And I have them put their right hand up on the handrail. And with their left hand, they reach up into my right hand. 
And I have a sure hand on them. And I thought, you know, if they have their, their hand up on this iron rod and they have their, their other hand in mine, I'm not going to let go. So, you know, if we go slow enough, maybe they won't fall. But as we, you know, continue on, we, the inevitable occurs and, you know, they fall down. And I remember that first time they were so humiliated, so embarrassed. No, I fell. And so I reached down with my, my hand, I grabbed their hand, I hoisted them back up onto their feet. One hand on the iron rod, the other hand in mine. We stay a little farther. We stay a little farther until eventually the inevitable occurs and they, they fall again. And then they fall, you know, a third time. And before long, I notice a change. Interesting. It's not humiliation and embarrassment anymore. They look up to me and they have a smile on their face. They're laughing. <laughs> yep. Here I go again. I fell. Yep. Right back onto their feet. Skate a little farther. Make the, the full trip around and then let one go and i got to pick up the next one. Well, let's skate with Cousin Jeff. Yeah. You know, if we, as, you know, as we look back on uh, 2023, and, you know, we consider, you know, we, we had some accidents. We fell down a few times. And if you remember only the accidents, all you will remember is pain or embarrassment or the, the chill, you know, the sore rump. But if you look at the totality of 2023, how far we've traveled, how much we've learned, how many lives that we've touched, how far we've come. So we look into... 2024, supposing where we'll be next year. Merry Christmas.
our Father and our God, as we uh, draw close to this time together of worship, we pray to the Lord that your good spirit would continue to accompany us as we might prepare our lives to receive it. We thank you, Lord, for uh, this opportunity to hear your word brought before us today by your servant, praying, dear Lord, that our eyes might be open to see that which you have us to witness, that we might be able to stand and testify of those things of how you've touched our lives and how you've touched the lives of all creation. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son and this time of year in which the world recognizes it, time of year we remember how we measure time on a calendar, for it all revolves around your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to keep him at the center of all that we do, say and think, praying that we might be that valiant, give valiant testimony in the lives of those we, we touch. Bless each one, Lord. Bless their homes as we would go. Our endeavors might they be for the kingdom's sake. Above all things, Lord, forgive us of our sin. We ask and pray these things in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.